I also, while you're turning there, I'd like uh, greeters, greeters and ushers. I need to bring the ushers back into play. We're going to do something uh, this morning. It's called an anticipatory set in education. At least 20 years ago, that's what it was called. I don't know what you young people call it now. I need about eight greeters and ushers to help with something we're going to do. Today's message is out of the scripture in John 6 on I am the bread of life. And there's a precursor to this story that everybody that is hearing Jesus teach understands this story. So we're going to catch you all up. About every third row, um, give a tray. This isn't communion, but it looks, it'll look like it. In the Old Testament, the children of Israel ate bread for 40 years that God gave them every morning. It was called manna. Uh, the word man meant what? So they went, what is this stuff? It was, it was uh, like a coriander seed, white, and the taste of it was like wafers made with honey. And the children of Israel, when they went into the wilderness, there was no food for a million people. God fed them every day. And they were to take an omar of manna per person every day. That's two liter bottles of pop. Can you picture two liter bottles of pop sitting here? You had to go out and collect this manna that we're passing out. That's, that was saved for the last 2,000, 8,000 years. It's really old, but, but you know, in God, it, it all hangs in there. <clears throat> this is a sample of what the closest thing we could find today to what maybe manna tasted like. And uh, I'm believing there's enough for everybody here. Jesus, multiply this in Jesus' name. Well, I would, you know, if you want to warm it up in your hands first so it's not so hard. But yeah, you can taste this, and it's a wafer honey material. Is this what manna tasted like? Well, this is the closest thing we could find. And today, of course, we don't have anybody around to tell us what it tasted like. But you can picture wafers made with honey. That's what you're eating right now, wafers made with honey. And it showed up every morning, and they would go out and collect these two liter bottles of manna per person, except on the sixth day, they would collect twice as much because on the Sabbath, they weren't to work. It was a day of rest. They didn't have to go collect food. They could live off what they had the day before. That was the only day manna would work. If you kept it over for the next day, it would turn wormy. There would be worms in it by the next day. So you couldn't hoard it. You couldn't get more than you needed and save it and then store it under your bed and get a big pile of manna and, and have that kind of security. You didn't need that kind of security because every day God gave us his daily bread. And it was amazing. He taught them trust through this process. And then when the sun came out, it burned off the manna. So any that was left would just evaporate. Pretty amazing. If you kept it over, it would turn into worms, except on, on Friday when you got double. And then Saturday was their Sabbath, and it would keep for the Sabbath. And you didn't dare go out and collect it on the Sabbath. You trusted God, and you just trusted in your daily bread. So the Hebrew children understood this story really well. It was huge. It was in their history. It was in their family lineage. So Jesus comes along, and there's 5,000 men plus women. He turns to his disciples and says, hey, 
Where are we going to get enough food to feed them? And he was testing his disciples, all about trust, all about faith. And, and one of the disciples said, well, if we had all the money in the world, we could hardly feed this many people. And one of the disciples said, hey, I found a boy. He's got some loaves and fishes. Let's steal from this boy to feed everybody. You know, I mean, this poor boy was the only one prepared that day, and they took his stuff. What an awesome thing in his background, wouldn't it be, to say that day? And Jesus sat them all down. He took the bread. He blessed the bread. He broke the bread, and he gave the bread. And it fed 5,000 men plus women and children with 12 basketfuls left over. Wow. And these people were out in the wilderness with no McDonald's, no Burger Kings, and, and they ate to their full, it said. And they still had basketfuls left over. Well, they loved this. This was awesome. See, back in that day, they really did pray, God, give us bread today. It wasn't as automatic as in our society. We live in a really privileged day when most of us aren't scared that we're not going to eat tomorrow. I would assume most of you aren't afraid even that there's going to be a dinner tonight. But they lived with some uncertainty about their meals. So this is pretty cool. So this is where the story picks up. If you'll go there with me to John 6, beginning in verse 25, these people have chased Jesus now. He's like a meals on wheels, and they're following him. And the next day, the crowd that was on the other side comes across the lake where Jesus is. Verse 25, when they found him on the other side of the sea, they said to him, Rabbi, when did you come here? Jesus answered them, truly, truly, I say to you, you are seeking me not because you saw signs, but because you ate your fill of the loaves. Do not work for the food that perishes, but for the food that endures to eternal life, which the Son of Man will give to you. For on him, God the Father has set his seal. Then they said to him, what must we do to be doing the works of God? Jesus answered them, this is the work of God that you believe in him whom he has sent. So they said to him, then what sign do you do that we may see and believe you? What work do you perform? And just so you know where their brain's going with this, the very next sentence reveals it. Because we have a sign that, that used to happen Our fathers ate manna in the wilderness. You can see where their brain's at. As it is written, he gave them bread from heaven to eat. Jesus said to them, Truly, truly, I say to you, it was not Moses who gave you the bread from heaven, but my father gives you the true bread from heaven. For the bread of God is he who comes down from heaven and gives life to the world. They said to him, sir, give us this bread always. Hmm. Wouldn't that be neat? Jesus said to them, I am the bread of life. Whoever comes to me shall not hunger, and whoever believes in me shall never thirst. Hmm. Oh, would you stand this morning? As we receive from God real soul food this morning, amen? Heavenly Father, we thank you that man doesn't live by bread alone, but by every word that proceeds out of your mouth. This morning, Father, feed us your word, feed us as your people.
that we will know the true source of life and have an assurance and a confidence and a security that you're God of gods and King of kings and you love us, Lord. And your eyes on the sparrow so we know you're going to take care of us. In Jesus' name we pray and everyone said, Amen and amen. Greet somebody in the name of the Lord, would you? All right. We're about to embark on a riddle that is a little unnerving for a pastor to break into. You know, there's certain topics in the Bible that's really nice to avoid, then you don't have to have the answer for them. And uh, because if we were as smart as God and could figure him out, you know, we would we'd be, he's God. And I love this about the Bible. You can read it every day of your life for all your life and read scriptures over and over. And there's these new nuances or new revelation that come in all the time. And this is a portion of scripture that totally blew some of Jesus' disciples out of the water. This was a day in most ministries that you would say it's not a good day. If at the end of today's message, three-fourths of you would leave the church and never come back, I'd say that's not a good day in church. I don't know what pastor talked about, but stop it. Well, what Jesus is about to talk about causes him to lose most of his disciples. A lot of us don't think about that. They have the 12. They're always hanging in there. He sent out the two. There were 70. They think they hung in there. But a number of people were following Jesus who really didn't believe that he was who he said he was. When Jesus says, I am, it's huge. We're doing a series on Jesus, knowing about Jesus. One of the things you have to know about Jesus is he said, I am, and then he filled in the blank. And don't you want to know what he said about himself? Jesus said of himself, I am the bread of life. Now, they're hanging with him at that point, but let's go on to John 6, 40. And let's read what happens here. For this is the will of the Father that everyone who looks on the Son and believes in him should have eternal life. And I will raise him up on the last day. During this portion of scripture, Jesus says seven times that he wants to give us life everlasting or everlasting life or live forever. And a number of times he talks about raising us up on the last day. This is part of the promise of believing in Jesus. Verse 41, so the Jews grumbled about him because he said, I am the bread that came down from heaven. They said, is this not Jesus, the son of Joseph, whose father and mother we know? How does he now say, I have come down from heaven? Jesus answered them, do not grumble among yourselves. No one can come to me unless the father who sent me draws him. And I will raise him up on the last days. It is written in the prophets and they will be and they will all be taught by God. Everyone who has heard and learned from the Father comes to me. Not that anyone has seen the Father except he who is from, the, from God. He has seen the Father. Truly, truly, I say to you, whoever believes has eternal life. I am the bread of life. Your fathers ate the manna in the wilderness and they died. This is the bread that comes down from heaven so that one may eat of it and not die. 
I am the living bread that came down from heaven. If anyone eats of this bread, he will live forever. And the bread that I will give for the life of the world is my flesh. The Jews then disputed among themselves, saying, How can this man give us his flesh to eat? So Jesus said to them, Truly, truly, I say to you, and here's where the riddle gets thicker. Truly, truly, I say to you, unless you eat the flesh of the Son of Man and drink his blood, you have no life in you. Whoever feeds on my flesh and drinks my blood has eternal life, and I will raise him up on the last day. For my flesh is true food and my blood is true drink. Whoever feeds on my flesh and drinks my blood abides in me and I in him. As the living Father sent me, and I live because of the Father, so whoever feeds on me, he also will live because of me. This is the bread that came down from heaven, not like the bread the fathers ate and died. Whoever feeds on this bread will live forever. When many of the disciples heard it, verse 60, they said, this is a hard saying. Who can listen to it? And they left. Wow. Susie and I spent this week in a prayer retreat, and every, every time we do it, it's different. And this time we were brooding over all sorts of things, but we got into discussion about this message because this is kind of a riddle. If you have Jesus saying, you got to eat my flesh, drink my blood, else you can't live, it wigs your mind out because those are very graphic terms, aren't they? And cannibalism isn't really in the doctrine of the church or of the Old Testament. So they're struggling with this. They're taking it literally. They're trying to spiritualize it. What does he mean? What does he mean? Susie and I thought about, okay, what is the bread here? You know, Jesus said, man can't live by bread alone, but by every word. This is in the book of Deuteronomy also. Man can't live by bread alone, but by every word that proceeds out of the mouth of God. Oh, so the bread Jesus is talking about is your Bible. If you read your Bibles, you'll live. Well, well yes and no. Because <laughs> the Pharisees had memorized the Old Testament. And that didn't assure their salvation, nor that they would be raised on the last day, nor that they would have everlasting life. Jesus said, you must believe on me. In fact, there's a scripture that says in John, Jesus says, you search the scriptures because you think that in them you have eternal life. And it is they that bear witness about me. Yet you refuse to come to me that you may have life. So just the word alone isn't the bread in its fullness. Jesus says in verse 63 of this chapter, it is the spirit who gives life. The flesh is no help at all. The words that I have spoken to you are spirit and life. So what we find is, in a real simplistic sense, if you're all Bible in a church, and that's all you are, you'll dry up. There won't be the joy of the Holy Spirit resident in you, typically. But if you're all spirit, you can blow up. And we've seen that in churches that are just, they're not biblically based. They're just going on feelings and emotions. Kevin talked about that today when we get emotional. It doesn't mean we're logical or smart or just means we're excited. Might as well be on let's make a deal. 
But if we're spirit and word, we'll grow up. So the bread of God, which cometh down from heaven and gives life to the world, is Jesus Christ. Yes, he's the word. In the beginning was the word, and the word was with God, and the word was God. But it's more than just your Bible. You've got to believe that actually Jesus' flesh did something for us. And we're going to get to this. We're going to explain this riddle. If Bible doesn't equal salvation, Jesus equals salvation, but his word equals salvation, you know. He said, I am the bread of life. Okay. What we have here is a big discussion over what the people want and what Jesus is trying to give them. And they're two different things. That, that's the grumbling. That's the conflict. We, we want you to do what Moses did. Jesus said, Moses didn't do it. God did it. And I'm going to give you bread from God. And they, and they began to grumble. What's really interesting is when you go back into the Old Testament times, he gave a man after they grumbled. God, you brought us out into this wilderness to kill us, right? There's a real insecurity when all our needs aren't being met. And so what we tend to do is we tend to argue over the temporal versus the spiritual. They wanted temporal bread. Jesus was trying to give them spiritual, eternal bread. And when we began to look at this, Susie and I, we began to say, okay, what is it about life that's the tough choice when it comes to Jesus? We had a friend in college that was coming out of the bar scene. Back then it was discotheques. You guys, how many remember discos? Bless you, my older brothers and sisters. You know, John Travolta. You can tell he's a man by the way he walks, but his voice is really high. I don't know. <clears throat> and he, he was hitting the bars. He was a football player, and he was a friend that we'd known from college. And, and the day came when he'd accepted Christ. In fact, he came up to live with Susie and I because he was a Christian, and he wanted to play football and he got on the team and he blew his knee out, but he was a really big, good-looking guy. I think he was. I wouldn't have kissed him, but you know, the girls seemed to like <clears throat> We called him Samson. He had big, broad shoulders, long hair. Fabio, before Fabio was even alive. <clears throat> but that was, a, that was a, a kicker for him because he loved going to the discotheques. He loved hitting on the girls. He loved alcohol. He loved the drug scene. But he loved Jesus. And he told us his dream was to be able to go to bars and win people for Jesus. <laughs> and that sounds so noble, except that his picture was he was going to drink as much as them and probably swear as much as them. And not that that sends you to hell, but his life hadn't, he didn't want to, he wanted it all. And he wanted the temporal and the spiritual. And, and we've got to understand that in the Lord's Prayer, Jesus teaches us, Our Father which art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come. Thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. And the very next thing he wants us to deal with is, give us this day our daily bread. God doesn't want us devoid 
of physical needs. He meets our needs. He wants to meet our needs. He made our bodies. He made our bodies to take in food and drink. But he doesn't want it to become our God. And he doesn't want it to come before us. And, and back in that day, they were just trying to eat to survive. Nowadays, we, we still have a, an appetite and a thirst, don't we, for things that aren't always healthy for us. And can we really believe that if we just ate of Jesus, we'd be satisfied? Is it possible that you cannot get all the temporary things you want and still have life in that more abundantly? Do you believe that? Because my buddy in college didn't believe that. He didn't believe that he could have Jesus and be fully satisfied with just Jesus. You got to understand, Jesus isn't asking you to go without food and drink and clothing. That's silly. He just says, seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things shall be added to you. And we get the cart before the horse. And part of it's because of this. There are three things, three S's that really play in the middle of this. We want total satisfaction, don't we? I mean, everybody wants to be satisfied. I think you're crazy if you don't want satisfaction. If you don't want to be satisfied with life, there's something wrong with you, I think. We all want security. And we all don't want to be harmed or hurt or die. We, we like salvation. In fact, if we can just keep God as a lucky rabbit's foot in our back pocket and go to heaven and still have all the temporary things of life, that's really a... We, we do like salvation for now and even for later. The average American really wants to go to heaven because they're as good as anybody else, and if God graded on a curve, they're way above average. We all want to go to heaven. We all want life, and that more abundantly. We want salvation. I began to look at this and look at each one of these words. To be satisfied means to gratify wants. Look at this. Wishes or desires to the full extent. We don't want partial gratification. We don't want part of our wishes. We'd like all our wishes granted. We'd like all our desires granted to a full extent. That's to satisfy me. When I go to Thanksgiving dinner, I'm going to be satisfied at the end of that meal because I'm going to be full. In fact, I am so full, I don't even want any more dessert, which is really weird when you think about it, isn't it? To supply possession or enjoyment. I would be satisfied if I'd have more possessions. There is a thing in the Bible called the deceitfulness of riches. Have you ever looked at that word, what it means? Pastor Everett used to say, if you're deceived, you don't know it. That's why it's called deceived. If you have the deceitfulness of riches, you don't understand that you think life is in all your riches. That's the deceit part of it. Well, I don't feel deceived. That's why it's deceitful is the more riches I have, the more money I have, the more things I have, the more possessions I have, the more enjoyment, till no more is desired. Oh, amen for that. How many of you would like to have so many possessions and enjoyment you don't desire anymore? Well, that's the Thanksgiving meal. You eat till you're full and you don't want any more. How many of you in your natural man have a number that will satisfy you in finances or possessions. If I just had this, 
then I'd be full. How many have watched life enough to know that when it comes to material goods, there never seems to be enough? People that win the lottery have made it, right? Why are you saying no? What are the statistics out? How do you guys know this stuff? Because we've watched it. What would it be like to win the lottery? Then I'd have enough. Hmm. Because you've never been there. You don't know what that feels like. But believe me, once you get there, there's people above you that have way more. And they've got a nicer house on a better lake with more better toys. There's always more to have. And people that win the lottery, I mean, I watch these reality shows and the undercover boss gives them $50,000 and they say, this is a life changer. And I tell Susie, you know how fast they're going to burn through $50,000? I mean, I know they've only made $10,000 a year up till now, but they're going to find out $50,000. I've talked to elderly people who have retired in my own family, sold a house for $115,000, and they thought they'd had all the money they'd ever need. They ran out within five years. It's, it's, we have a funny deceitfulness. This, this is enough. And the people that win the lottery, millions of dollars, they say 10, 20 years later, they're, off worse, they're worse off financially than they were before the lottery. How many have heard those statistics? Didn't it blow you away? How can that happen? Professional athletes, we've watched it, just gorge themselves with possessions. They're going to have it forever. And then all of a sudden, how many homeless professional athletes are walking out there? More than you'd think. Destitute financially. Because they thought they had all they needed. But it's temporary. And satisfaction comes, we think, when we get all our wishes and our desires to a full extent. Well, Jesus said to them, I am the bread. I am the bread of life. Whoever comes to me now you know what he means. Shall never hunger. Shall never hunger. I did that jump back. We don't go backwards in Jesus. Move forward. Put your hands to the plow. Don't look back at the old slides. I am the bread of life. Whoever comes to me shall not hunger, and whoever believes in me shall never thirst. And he uses these words a lot. Do you believe me? Because if you don't believe in me, you won't have eternal life. You've got to believe this to have eternal life. I was amazed at when I came to Jesus how the hunger for the world just kind of diminished. How many can witness to that, that when you came to Jesus, it really shocked you how the, your love for the things of the world just kind of diminished? They were there, but they weren't near as important. Anybody else besides me have that? Oh, so Jesus did satisfy your hunger. And Jesus did satisfy your thirst. Uh, those, of, those of you that played football in college and was my buddy and you wanted 5,000 girlfriends, you found that one wife was enough. And she satisfied my life. Not because she satisfied my life, but because Jesus satisfied my life and he filled that job description so she didn't have to. You see, Jesus' job description is satisfying you. If you're satisfied in Jesus, nobody else has to. You're not the spoiled kid at school or work that requires everybody to cater to your needs because your needs are being met through Jesus. He's my bread. Jesus talked to a woman at the well. 
And the disciples came out to feed him, and he says, I'm not hungry. I have bread you know not of. And he had shared his life with this woman at the well, and that was his bread to share his life, his self with the world. And if you've ever done that and witnessed to somebody and you've been in one of those times where they're coming to Jesus, the last thing you need to do, I mean, in fact, I've had these dinner meetings where we're talking about Christ and the food just sits there. How many have had that experience? Isn't that awesome? You don't, you don't even, you, I wanted to go bag for this because this is just feeding you. Talking about Jesus, seeing them come to life, you, you're full. There's something so satisfying about that. It's satisfying. Wow. Paul said this. You don't have to turn there. It's in Philippians. And what's interesting about Philippians is this was the one church that supplied his physical needs. It's where he said, may God give to you according to his riches and glory. It's the only church he said that to. They, they supplied Paul's physical needs. And, and he said, I, I do have needs, but he said, listen, he says, I am not saying this because I am in need. I'm not telling you to give to the ministry because I'm in need. This is one of the beautiful things about this church. As I talk today, I wanted to say this. There are so many generous people in this church. I mean, you overwhelm. The overwhelming number of folks here, and and I'm not even thinking of anybody who's not this way. I mean, it seems like everybody in this church is generous. Your priorities are right. Your family comes before other things. Your God comes before everything. And The finances of this church are just off the chart. Amazing. So as I talk about tithing or giving to the Lord financially, Susie and I are in a place we've never been before. It's just the most awesome place. Our needs are taken care of. And that's what Paul's saying here. I'm telling you to be generous for your sake. I'm not saying this because I am in need, for I have learned, listen, how many of you can say this? I have learned to be content whatever the circumstances. And Paul's actually talking about finances here. Because that's what's going before and after this scripture. I know what it is to be in need. And I know what it is to have plenty. I have learned the secret of being content. Have you learned the secret of being content today? I have learned the secret of being content in any and every situation, whether well-fed or hungry, whether living in plenty or in want. Here's the famous scripture, for I can do all things through Jesus who strengthens me. See, Jesus was Paul's bread. We take that scripture and use it for all kinds of things, but he's talking about your physical, temporary needs, your material needs. He's saying, I can do all things because Christ is my bread. He's my strength. Yet it was good of you to share in my troubles. Moreover, as you Philippians know, In the early days of your acquaintance with the gospel, when I set out from Macedonia, not one church shared with me in the matter of giving and receiving except you. Boy, I'd hate to get to heaven and be the Corinthian pastor, wouldn't you? Going to the insecurity slide, guys. I don't know why it's jumping all over today. The opposite of secure is 
not safe, exposed to danger, hazard, destruction, or loss. Hmm. I'm not satisfied with this slideshow, by the way. <laughs> not safe, exposed to danger, hazard, destruction, or loss without certainty. Isn't this the kicker when it comes to material needs? We have no certainty. We have no security. We're not sure what's going to happen tomorrow. If you're in charge of your own finances, you're going to have to be uncertain because you're just limited. But if you can seek first the kingdom of God, give Jesus everything in your life, let him be your bread, a certainty begins to take over, doesn't it? A security you're not certain about the stock market. You're not certain about what the political atmosphere is going to do. And all other ground is sinking sand, but on Christ the solid rock. For we belong to an unshakable kingdom. I'm certain of that. For I am persuaded. Paul says, for I am persuaded. He is able to keep me to that day. That's security. That's certainty. I am certain Jesus is going to take care of my needs. He said, why do you worry about what you eat, what you wear, what you... He says, do you not know that your heavenly father, his eye is on the most smallest insignificant bird that flies out there? He knows when every sparrow falls, how much more valuable are you? He says, for he knows how many hairs you have on your head. You, you know, people that don't know Jesus say, why do you ask God about this stuff? He's busy. He doesn't have time for you. The reality is the more you come to Jesus, the more you understand he loves every part of you. And he knows you by name. And he knows how many hair you have on your head. Who would love you that much? Your moms don't sit down and count your hair. You know, they'll pick nits out of it. They'll braid it. But they don't want to count every little tiny hair. But Jesus does. The Bible says he even rejoices over you with singing. And you lay there at night and you snore, but Jesus just sings over you. It's amazing. There's security in Jesus. Security in Jesus. Security is protection, defense, or safety from danger of any kind. Freedom from fear, confidence of safety, certainty. One of the best stories in the Bible that shows somebody who's insecure is this portion of Scripture. And just listen to this story. I'm going to read it out of the Message Bible. This is a story that Jesus tells. Now, it takes place. People are coming to him, and someone out of the crowd said, Teacher, order my brother to give me a fair share of the family inheritance. Boy, does that, is that when it gets down to brass tacks in a family, isn't it? When the inheritance comes up. All the kids, how much are we going to get? And this is going on back then. He said, teacher, order my brother to give me a fair share of the family inheritance. I don't trust him. Jesus replied, mister, what makes you think it's any of my business to be a judge or a mediator for you? Speaking to the people, he went on, take care. Protect yourself against the least bit of greed. Life is not defined by what you have, even when you have a lot. Then he told them this story. The farm of a certain rich man produced a terrific crop. He talked to himself, what can I do? My barn isn't big enough for this harvest. Then he said, here's what I'll do. 
I'll tear down my barns and build a bigger one. Then I'll gather in all my grain and all my goods, and I'll say to myself, Self, you've done so well, so secure. You've got it made and can now retire. Take it easy and have the time of your life. Is this America? Just then, God showed up and said, Fool, tonight you die. And your barn full of goods? Who gets it? That's what happens when you fill your barn with self and not with God. Wow. He thought he was secure by all his riches. Now I'm secure. Susie and I are in a place financially in our life that we've never been. I'm having to learn how to do with. For years, I, we taught school and uh, we called ourselves uh, what, oinks. There were dinks, double income, no kids. We were oinks, one and a half income, no kids. But anyway, we learned how to do with little. We really did. And as we've gotten older, God's blessed us more and more and more. I, 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 Susie and I have, have tried, not incredible, but pretty hard trying to outgive God, and we just can't do it. And every now and then I think, what if the economy just crashed? How scared would that make me? Because I'm 60 now. How much security do I have in my retirement? How much am I going to leave Susie if I go before her? And I don't think God wants us to not have gumption. I really don't like men who are so lazy they stay on the couch because God will take care of me. I don't like that kind of guy. I like a guy that says, hey, an early bird gets a worm and no worm jumps into my nest, so I'm going to get out of my nest. And then God will provide as I go. And God will probably provide more than I need, and I want to be wise in what I do with that. I want to give to the Lord. I want to give to others. I, I'd rather loan than borrow. And we should have gumption. We should have ambition. But I have thought, once I've done everything I can do, the Bible says to stand... And after all the hard labor of my life over the last many years, I have stored up retirement. I've stored up houses. But is my security really in all of that? And even now, I have to learn how to have much. It's a learning process. Jesus isn't here this morning beating any of you up. He's saying, where are you at in the lesson of learning contentment? Do you really know where your bread comes from? Do we really know who supplies all our needs according to his riches? Is our trust in Jesus, on Christ the solid rock I stand, all other ground, all my retirement, all my wealth, all my possessions are sinking sand. And I'm going to be wise, and I'm not going to... See, part of the problem is we justify, well, I've just got faith in Jesus so I can go in debt and spend my future inheritance. And we use faith to say, God will take care of me. No, that's foolishness. Look at the ant, it says in Proverbs. They store up. And Jesus said, give us this day our daily bread. He didn't say, give us this day the next 30 days of bread now so I can buy what I want to buy. 
Be content in your daily bread, act your wage, and that's wisdom. And God will use that wisdom to supply for you later. Dave Ramsey's right. If you live like nobody else now, you'll live like nobody else later. There is a wisdom in that. But even in that, in all our hard work, we have to understand, even if I do it right, and I've stored up great riches in my big barns, have I really made it now? Am I really secure now? Do I believe in the temporal or do I believe in the spiritual eternal? Where is my trust? Where's my hope? And if we're not careful, we'll be like the red, you know, the Dead Sea. We just take it in, but no water leaves. The Dead Sea is one of the lowest places on earth, and nothing can live there. It's called the Dead Sea. Very good name. Just upstream is the Sea of Galilee, and it teems with life. That's where Jesus told them to cast their nets. They had so many fish, it sunk the boats. It's the Sea of Galilee. Why is the Galilee healthy? Why is the Dead Sea dead? Because the Dead Sea only takes on to himself. There's no exit out the Dead Sea. Everything just comes one way. And it'll kill you, gang. God wants to give it to you to go through you. Wants you to trust him. Be wise in your finances. Understand what the scripture says about money all across the board. Not just being generous, but being wise and saving. How you take care of things. The Bible's full of biblical financial wisdom. But don't be insecure. Find a security in God. And the next slide, guys, after the insecure slide, John 6, 35. Why can we be secure? Because Jesus says, I am the bread of life. Whoever comes to me shall not hunger. And whoever believes in me shall never thirst. We probably wouldn't have to preach this message so much in Ethiopia. Did you realize the epistles were given to a specific church? One church, he kind of corrects them. Another church, he encourages them. Corinthians, he says, settle down, you're wild. The Ephesian church, he says, a little more love would be nice. In America, we are fighting possessions. Uh, every commercial's motive, by the way, here's a trick in marketing. Every commercial is a successful commercial if they can convince you you lack. Every commercial. No commercial comes on and says, I know you've got all the insurance you need, but we have another insurance company. They never say that. Hey, we've got a vitamin for you even though you're perfectly healthy. They always try to generate you lack something. This is bombarding us every day of our life on TV, on the radio, on billboards. Every day we're bombarded with you don't have enough, you lack, you need my product. You need more of my product. You can never get enough of my product. And they call that good marketing. Am I close, you marketing guys? Is that close? I'm not off too far, am I? They don't want you satisfied when it comes to their product. Boy, Christians should be lousy people to market to. If I have all I need, if I have a need, I'd like to know where I can find this item. But my Jesus is my bread. And fathers, Ralph, your family's more important than your job. Don't spend every waking moment on your job because there are more important things out there. And all the wives said, wives, there's more important things than your job. 
This doesn't mean we quit. This doesn't mean we get lazy. But what is our security? Pastor Everett used to say, your kids don't want nice furniture as bad as you think they want nice furniture. I mean, I look back on the highlights of my life with my father. It had nothing to do with the motorbike he bought me. He played catch with me. He taught me how to shoot a basketball. He taught me about life. Those were the precious times. I couldn't even tell you how nice our house was at that time. Because who my dad was to me, our relationship was worth all the money in the world. And those of you that have lost a father or a mother would trade the house in a heartbeat, wouldn't you? To get dad or mom back or the kids, whatever. And the last S, and we'll close here, salvation. Jesus really has it in spades here. The act of saving, preservation from destruction, danger, or great calamity. This is going to bring a real joy into our lives, if we can. <laughs> Today is just, um, how's your joy? How's your contentment? Have you lost any of that because of your physical things, your financial things? If God, there's a strategy to bring those back, great. But God's just saying, it's going to be okay. Yeah? We can have a great depression hit us tomorrow and talk about security. Every one of us should go, well, this ought to be interesting. What's God going to do for us? Do you think he'd let us starve? No. Be, Susie's mom used to say, I hope the house catches on fire. What would God do? <laughs> she was a crazy woman. <laughs> she was a lady out on the Titanic going like this. You know, so. Ship's going down, but not her life. Here's the key to the riddle. And the bread, Jesus says, that I will give will bring life to the whole world. Didn't he? Didn't he just bring life to the whole world? Our calendars reset. They, they, orphanages started. Women began to be loved and have rights. Slaves began to drop their chains. It, God just brought love into the world, and he brought life into the world. Jesus was truly the bread of life. He still is. He always will be. We need to grab hold of him, never let go, fix our eyes on him, and it's going to be okay. You will not sink. You will not burn. You will not bend because Jesus is your God. He is your contentment. Seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, not your own, his righteousness. And all these things will be added. For he was the bread and he gave his bread for the life of the world. And remember, very poignant in Jesus' mind is he could foresee his body hanging on the cross, couldn't he? That was the flesh that was going to be broken for you and me. And his body was broken, his blood bled. And the night before, he said, this is my body, and he broke the bread. This is my blood. Here's, disciples, what I meant. Get ready to eat of my crucifixion. It will be life to you. In almost every case that Jesus gave bread to the 5,000 or his disciples, it almost says the same thing every time. He took the bread... He blesses the bread, he breaks the bread, and he gives the bread. Yes, and God took the bread of life, 
blessed his life and he broke Jesus and gave him to you and me. Could you stand with me this morning? He's your bread. If you eat of him, you'll never hunger again. You'll never thirst again. There will be nothing that will satisfy like Jesus. Hmm. This morning, if you've never been able to fully buy into the thought that Jesus is more important than the physical things. I feel like the Spirit's tugging on your heart. Can you trust me? Can you believe that if you fall into my arms, I will meet all your needs according to my riches? That I have a cattle on a thousand hills, that I love you more than the sparrows, and they make it through the winter. I don't know how all these birds are making it through the winter, but they do. Security. Peace, contentment, safety, salvation. Jesus is the bread of life. So this morning, if you've never accepted Jesus on these terms, if you've never believed that he's strong enough, big enough, mighty enough, alive enough to take care of your physical needs, your material needs, your possessions, today would be a really good time to change allegiance as to who your God is to lean on him, trust in him, follow him, and you'll find life like you've never found it before. If you're a Christian and you've fallen back a little bit, trusting in your own material wealth, your own strength to provide for your family, you've trusted and you've worried a little bit too much in the material things, will you accept the peace of God this morning? That's what Jesus wants. He just wants you to not be tormented anymore. He wants you to be at peace that you're in the palm of his hands. And it's going to be okay. He'll walk you through the debt. He'll walk you through the lack of a job. He'll walk you through the missing parts of your life. He'll walk you through. Just fix your eyes on him. Fix your eyes on him and cling to him and abide in him. For he's your bread. He's your life. As we sing this song, and you'd like to just raise your hand and say, Father, I want to, whatever it is you need today, to reprioritize your life. As we sing this song, just lift your hand and say, Lord, help me trust you more. Help me love you more. Help me make you more the center of my life, Lord, that I might not hunger and thirst the way I've craved things this week. So let's sing this song. Let's reach out to the Lord. Let's ask God to be God of all our life, of all creation, our supplier, our creator, our healer. He's all that I have need. He is the I am this morning.
Our Heavenly Father, we thank you again today that you are the bread of life, that you go with us, that you are here to satisfy every need. You are here to be our security, and you are here to bring salvation to each and every heart and life in this house. Lord, may we truly take the word, the bread that you have given us today, and allow it to feed us, allow it to bring peace and comfort, that we would reach out to you in a growing way. Bless this house, Lord God, as we go. Let us now go out to love, to serve, to lead, and to feed as you have fed us. We thank you, God. Amen. So 